Good morning. Man, I'm glad you're here with us. Today is the first week of Advent. And Advent, if this is not part of your tradition, um, don't worry about it because um, it's really not a thing that we find in the Bible, but yet it's been a church tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years. And White Oak's joining in on that tradition this year of encouraging you to, to celebrate Advent. It's that Latin word that simply means coming, all right? Coming. And what Advent, the, the season is, is the anticipation of Christmas, we celebrate that Jesus did, in fact, come. He arrived, all right? And when he did, he changed the course of human history. And so with traditional Advent candles, you have four that are the four Sundays leading up to Christmas and the white one being the one you write on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, if you choose. So the Elliott family um, came out earlier, and they um, celebrated by lighting our first candle for Advent uh, this week. And the first week of Advent, actually, the word that's attached to that candle to that week is the word hope. Hope, all right, which we're going to dive into a little bit. Now, Advent season, Christmas season, whatever you want to call it, celebrates, this is something that Christians have believed for 2,000 years. That is that when Jesus arrived, the first time, the first time he came to earth, right, he brought with him a glimpse. It was a sampling of the hope and the joy and the peace of love and love of heaven. That Jesus, when he came to earth, he actually brought some of heaven to earth for us to experience, right? Now, just because Jesus did that, and that one act, that one act of coming and dying that he changed the course of human history. He actually set into motion a plan that God had had since eternity past. And that is that you and I would be saved from our sin. That's what Christians believe. That Jesus rescued us from our sin and promises a place in heaven one day. But just because Jesus came 2,000 years ago and changed the course of human history, it doesn't necessarily mean that it changes the course of your day tomorrow. It doesn't necessarily mean that it changes the course of your week next week. It doesn't necessarily mean that it changed the course of your month this month, or that it's done much to change the course of your year in 2019. See, even though Jesus came and did what he did, and we believe that it changed us, that it continues to change us, right? We're still waiting for something. And that's the tension that I think people feel when it comes to faith. That's the tension that even the followers of Jesus feel is that we, we know Jesus. We know he's rescued us from sin. We've been taught that. We've experienced that. And yet we're still waiting for something. We're still waiting for, for this t totality of heaven to be experienced. Like we get that when Jesus came, he gave us like, like a sample like this, this glimpse of the love and the joy and the peace and the hope of heaven, but we're waiting for like the totality of heaven to be experienced. Because the truth is, if all of heaven were experienced right now, your day and your week and your month would look a little different. Like there'd be no, none of us would be doubting anything. You would have no worries or anxieties about starting your week next week after this holiday. Like, there'd be no pain, there'd be no hurt, there'd be no baggage. Like, we would be experiencing all of heaven now, but we're not. And no matter what you believe about God, or what you believe about faith or, 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 or Jesus, every single person in this room understands that there's something about our lives that feels unfinished. 
It feels broken in need of fixing. It feels off, and, and we wait for it to feel like on and set on the right path. Every one of us understands that things in our lives just don't seem like they are the way they should be. And we understand that. The truth is we all still need hope. We all still need peace. We all still need joy. And even if you don't call it this, we all still need the love of a really good father in heaven, God. We need it desperately. And maybe even sometimes more so at Christmas than than any other time. So here's what we're going to talk about today. It's printed on the front of your program, in fact, and this is our big idea, is that Jesus has always been the answer. For eternity past and eternity into the future, Jesus has always been the answer for you and for me. Um, let's talk about before and after. I know that we, uh, we, we love, everybody loves a good before and after story. In fact, it's what's made some of these home renovation like shows so popular is you see what the kitchen looked like. You know what shows I'm talking about? Because most of you watch them, all right? We do. We're just drawn to it. I don't even like these before and after shows, but I'm just drawn to this like, man, that kitchen was hideous before they did anything to it, right? It was outdated. The cabinets were ugly. Like, seriously, they still sell those appliances somewhere, like the countertop, right? And, and you see, I can't believe it. And then they come in and they renovate the thing. And like, you can't wait for that moment. None of us can. You don't even have to like those shows and you can't wait to see the granite countertops. You can't wait to see the backsplash. Like, you can't wait to see what they did with the lighting, right? Because it's just like, is that seriously like, what do they call it, like a farm sink? That's so awesome, right? Because we love the after. We love to see that what it was before and then like the finished project. That we, now, my favorite is on some of these um, ads that pop up online of like these exercise, like equ- some exercise equipment that promises like the, just to change your, your physique, like the ab roller or some stupid thing. It's actually, that's a belt. You, just, you don't even have to do anything. You just buckle that, that sucker around your waist, and in, and in about 10 minutes, you've got like a six-pack. Have you seen this? Like, and I've always wondered, like the before shot, and I'm not going to describe what the dude looked like before shot because it's rude, but you, you know what I'm talking about, right? And then you have this after shot. It's like, how did the dude butt... Ba- ba- he buckled this around his waist. He's got a six-pack, but he's got these massive biceps and this chiseled chest. Like, what happened? But I, I don't care. I want one, all right? That, that's, we love these before and after shots. Now, recently on Facebook, or if you've been on social media, Instagram, there's this, that, this 10-year challenge that's been going around. You've seen this? It's just really, it's not really a challenge. It's just where you post a picture of yourself from 2009, and then you post a picture of t- from 2019. You've, have you done this? Some of you have. I've seen it. You look great, by the way. Um, I, I, I have resisted doing it, but, I, but I've decided to go ahead and play along. So I found a picture of myself from 2009, and then I put it right next to a picture of me from 2019. And see, you can see this was me in 2009. All right, that's my birthday, my 30th birthday, 2009. All right, and then see, see the before and after shot here. Yeah, that's it now. <laughs> so all I can say, two things, is I really enjoyed my time with the 49ers, also, the years have been really kind, <laughs> all right? So th- that's my before and after, just for what it's worth. I'll post that on social media here for you to enjoy a little later. Um, <laughs> the, story, the story of our lives, um, though we love to look at the before, and then it's fun to kind of look at the after. You know, it's like, oh, man, where have we been over the course of 10 years? 
But the truth of the matter is, and it's a little bit of a darker place that you and I go, and we go there very often, is that in the story of our lives, whether it's 10 minutes ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago, there's this undercurrent of this beforeness, right? There's this undercurrent in our stories of what was before that just lingers, doesn't it? And sometimes it lingers like all of this stuff that we used to be or that we did or that we were, it kind of just lingers into maybe a little bit of who we still are, or regret or shame or pain. And it makes it hard for us to really picture what the after picture looks like, doesn't it? I mean, just because it's Christmas doesn't mean that the worries and the regrets and the hurts and the pain that you had in November, which was yesterday, it doesn't mean that it's gone. It's still here. It's still part of who we are. It still lingers in our hearts. The loss of someone that you loved and you're spending the first holiday or maybe the 20th holiday without them, that's still real. A broken relationship. Did you see somebody at the Thanksgiving table and you knew it was awkward, wasn't it? Because there's a broken relationship there. Or I know some of us, you didn't go to the table or they didn't show up because there's this rift in your family. That's still very real. What about decisions that you've made in the past? I don't care if you're 15 or 50, you can look back. We all have a before image, right? And you've made some decisions that you regret. And those decisions that you've made, the consequences still linger, don't they? Right? There's opportunities that we've missed. Man, some of us can look back at the before shot, and we know that there's opportunities that came that we ignored, that we missed, and you can't go back. You feel like you just can't go back. That's still with us, isn't it? It's all of these before shots. The stress that you feel from school, from testing, from sports, from work. Some of us walk into our homes, and that's the most stressful place you'll be in the day. Because your marriage relationship is hurting. Your kids drive you crazy, or your relationship with your parents is fractured. And then... All of that's not even to mention your faith. Ah, it's Christmas time. So you've got to think about faith, right? You've got to think about God. You've got to think about Jesus. You've got to consider kind of where you are with all of that. And you hear songs or, or someone gives you a card or maybe people are talking about some things at work and, and it just kind of faith is still kind of like in the air. And so we've now got to think about that too. We've got to think about the challenges to faith. What should I be doing? What have I not been doing? Maybe I've been doing a lot. And you just got to consider where you are. And if you're just going to ignore it. So we all have this before stuff in our lives, don't we? It's this image that you just can't shake. And you brought it with you today. And the thing about our before stuff, those memories those hurts, that baggage, the, the loss. The thing about our before stuff is that before stuff isn't just an image from 10 years ago, is it? It just kind of lingers. And it becomes your now stuff. 
And the more that your before stuff lingers into your now stuff, it makes that after image that, that you and I long for, that after when things are, are, are feel right and things are in a good trajectory and things are healed and things are hopeful, it makes it feel like that image is so very far away. The story of Christmas actually looks a lot like your life and mine. I don't think it's any doubt that our Heavenly Father, just in his wisdom, um, influenced the writers to put together his story in the way that it flows. It's one of the reasons why I am convinced, and I, and I can't convince you of it. I'm just telling you personally, I am convinced that our Heavenly Father speaks direct truth through his word. Because only a very good God and a very, very wise God could write this story that almost feels like it's talking about my life every step of the way, that it impacts my life, that it flows seamlessly from thousands of years of human history into one narrative of a God who loves and pursues us. And I believe it because I see it. It's what convinces me. But if you look back at the very beginning of God's story, it's the book of Genesis, all right? Now, if you've not spent a lot of time in Genesis, it's okay. Um, you should, because that's where Christmas really starts. The book of Genesis is the very first book in the Old Testament of the Bible, in the, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. And it, and, it, and it tells this narrative, this story of God's creation. And if you know it, then this sounds familiar. And if you don't, let me tell you. In, in the book of Genesis, God creates everything. And it's very, 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 very good. All right? Everything, and, and you and I can't ever picture this because we've never known it to be this way. In the book of Genesis, chapter 1, everything is good. It's functioning perfectly. All right? Every rhythm that you can think of, like everything that you and I experience about this, this world functioned beautifully in perfect sync, and in rhythm with, one, with each other. And then God created Adam and Eve. And, and these two humans came together in this, in this husband-wife relationship, and it was perfect. It was beautiful. They always knew what the other one was thinking, saying, doing. They could meet each other's needs perfectly, kind of like my marriage. It's just like one of those things. I'm joking. It's not... It's not. Right? But it was this perfect relationship. And Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tells this beautiful story of how everything was just as God planned it to be, created to be, functioning in all, all this beautiful, beautiful nature. All right? And then Genesis chapter 3 comes. And I'll tell you now, early in God's story, third chapter, first book, is like the oldest most profound before and after story you'll ever read. Because the before shot is brilliance, and I just described it to you. The after shot is anything but. Because sin entered the world. And Adam and Eve decided that there were decisions they wanted to make, and instead of trusting their father, they trusted their gut and their own hearts. And it brought sin into this world, and it, and it fractured everything. Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. I want to read to you God's response to this brokenness that uh, was the reality 
of our story, okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 11. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who ate, gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he was made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Merry Christmas, right? You don't hear that one read. You don't hear that one being read very often in Christmas stories. Everything was perfect and good, and then sin infected it and broke everything. It, it broke everything. Creation, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your friendships, your heart's desires, where you find your fulfillment, it broke all of that. Have you ever looked back at your life, at some of the before shots, and just asked yourself, what was I thinking? I, <laughs> there's this picture in my senior year book from high school. It, it, it's not like, it's not like the, the headshot, you know, but it's just in one of the random, you know, pages. And I keep thinking, did, was there anybody, and I, know, and I know my parents loved me, but did they love me? And like, why didn't they love me enough to let me walk out of the house wearing what I was wearing in that picture? Do you ever feel that way? Like, was there anybody that cared about me? Like, at all? Because I'm wearing this sweatshirt, and it's stupid. And I, I, I almost took a picture of it and like, put it up on the screen, but then realizing that, thankfully, I graduated in a time before everything was digitized, and it just needs to stay in this book, and you don't need to have access to it. Because as soon as I gave it to these guys, they would abuse it and, and, and embarrass me. So um, they've done it before. So it just trust me, I had a stupid look on my face, and was wearing this stupid sweatshirt. And I looked at the picture, and I think, what was I thinking? But, but there's, there's, there's all kinds of places that you look back in your before story and say, what was I thinking? Like, how you treated people yesterday or 20 years ago in high school. How I treated, like, maybe some girls that I dated. How you've treated your marriage. How you've talked to your kids. Sexual activity just looking back at things and saying, what was I thinking? There's regret there. There's maybe shame. There's maybe guilt. There's like, I wish I could have done something differently. The beginning of the story of Genesis is one that talks about creation. And here's why I know that Genesis story is your story and my story too. Because Genesis chapter three always also talks about sin creating something. That when sin entered, it also created in, in a sense. That sin created this distance between us and God. Look at that. And I didn't read this part, all right? But the very first thing that Adam and Eve did when they realized they had sinned against the Holy Father is what did they do? If you know the story, if you don't, let me tell you, they hid. It was the classic avoidance. You did it on Thanksgiving with somebody in your family, all right? I don't want to sit by them. I don't want to be caught in the kitchen with them, right? I, it was classic avoidance. It, it, it broke this, this, and it created this chasm between us and God. 
And you feel that. And the reason I can tell that you that, even if you don't really believe in Jesus, you're not sure you're a religious person, is because you feel that distance. You know that things aren't operating in your life and your relationships the way that that would be good and right and pure and, and holy. And you know they're not operating that way. I don't have to convince you of that. I'm calling you, I'm telling you that it's this distance that sin has created between you and God, whether you call it that or not. Sin also created strained relationships. I don't need to tell you that sin causes strained relationships, either your own sin or someone else's that makes relationships harder. Guys, it shouldn't be this hard, but it is. So what does Adam do when God confronts him? He blames Eve. And what does Eve do when God said, girl, what's up? She blames Satan. He made me do it. Sin creates this distance from God, but also causes strained relationships between spouses, between you and your parents, between friends, between your boss and, or your coworkers. Sin creates relationship strain. I don't need to tell you that. Now, I might be telling you that the sin is the cause of it, but you know it exists. That's how I know that Genesis' story is my story, too. Sin also creates physical suffering. You may not think it's sin, but I'm telling you, I believe that it is. That sin causes physical suffering. There are things that you suffer physically from because it's a consequence of something that you did. Or it's a consequence of someone else's actions that's caused you pain. It causes suffering. It's a broken world. And so the presence of sin has caused suffering in this world. It just is the truth. Now, what we're tempted to do sometimes, okay, put that, put that over here. What we're tempted to do sometimes, when you and I look at our before images from 2009 or whatever, right? When we look at this, this baggage or these memories or this pain or, or, or this, this guilt maybe that we feel, we're tempted sometimes to look at these before images and say, well, that was me then. I'm a better person now. Like, yeah, somebody let me walk out of the house at some point wearing that sweatshirt, but guess what, guys? I don't wear that sweatshirt anymore. It was stupid in 1997, all right? I'm not wearing it now. You say, okay. So I have a better fashion sense, maybe, than I did when I was in high school. But has, what about my heart? Like, has my heart been renovated since then? Or is it just the outward appearance that has changed? You can look back at some of your before pictures, some of these before images that are just locked into your head, and you can say, you know what, I used to treat people that way, but I'm not that cruel now. I'm not that gossipy now. Okay. So how are you more loving? If the people from your high school yearbook could come and just, just take a peek at your life for a week, would they notice that you are a kinder person? Would they see that, you've, that generosity has shaped your life? I don't know. And we say, well, you know, I look back at some of those before and I say, well, yeah, I made mistakes and there's nothing that I can do about it now. Okay, maybe, maybe not. So moving forward, where are you taking deeper steps of trust and obedience to God? If the before you 
could speak into the after picture of you, what would you say? How you're more trusting? How you're more obedient to a really good dad in heaven? Are you? See what I'm saying? We're tempted to say, you know, yeah, that the loss and the pain and the broken relationship, it still lingers now, but okay, I, I, I understand that. I, I do, I understand that. So have you asked God to heal your broken heart? Have you? And here's the kicker. The pain and the brokenness that is in your past, that's lingered into your present, that clouds your vision of what's to come, have you asked your heavenly father to change and do a work on you and not your circumstances? See, for a lot of us, our befores still linger into the present, don't they? And that hurts. And many of us will get stuck there. Not that we obsess over it like daily, but it actually starts to shape our hearts. All the stuff from before and just lingers. And many, many of us will just get stuck in that place. But I want to tell you something. God has so much more for you this season, beginning now. And how do I know it? Because God has been writing your story and mine since the beginning. Because I can look back at, at a Hebrew people, at the Jewish people, they waited for a savior. They waited for generations and for centuries for someone to come to rescue them from their circumstances, to change their outlook of their present and their past to something that was so much better in the future. And they waited. They waited through war, through loss, through defeat, through disease. They had moments of joy and moments of peace, but it was just slapped down again by the history that was largely their own making, consequences of their sin. And they had lingering in their minds through the whole story of the Old Testament of how they screwed it up. In Exodus, and the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, the book of Kings and the Chronicles. Then you get into Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the prophets. And the, Israel is constantly reminded of Genesis. Do you know how that feels? You do know how it feels, don't you? So do I for the things of our past to just continue to linger into our present. And it hurts. And it affects everything. They were waiting for things to be made right. And then here's how I, this is how I know that God's story is my story too, because then something happens. In about A.D. 50, middle of the first century A.D., this, this Jewish guy who used to be a tax collector for the Roman government, turned follower of, of this rabbi who had a carpentry past. And he began to follow this rabbi. And Matthew turned his life over to Jesus. 
And about 20 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Matthew, still with this full mind and full heart of the things that he had seen and was told that had transpired, he sat down to write his narrative of Jesus' life, which is the very first book in our New Testament. And in 50 AD, Matthew sat down to tell his people, the Jews, some really, really good news. That all of their befores that had lingered into their present did not have to follow them into the future. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 1. He tells this story, and there's hints of the before. His readers are going to pick up on it, and you will hear in just a second too. His readers are going to pick up the hints of the before story, but it's going to smack, it's going to reek of an after story too that they've been waiting to hear. Look, Matthew chapter one, verse one, listen to what it says. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, Matthew's gonna start really, really strong. And if you're a Jewish person reading Matthew's letter or hearing it read to you in the first century, man, you're like, man, Matthew's on it because he starts out proving that Jesus is of royal lineage. And he, and, he, and, and he mentions all of these great pillars of faith, the fathers of the Jewish faith, David and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And people are like, yes, yes, these are pillars of our faith. These men we revere and admire. It's like, it's like you love looking back at the past things that just make you feel good. It's like why in June, some of you, and you'll see it and it'll be fun. You'll juxtapose like um, a picture of your, grad, your high school grad with like a baby picture or a kindergarten picture right? And you'll see kindergarten, and there you are in your cute little, you know, Velcro shoes and backpack on, and then there you are in your senior year, you know, last day of school or cap and gown. And we love the before and afters, right? Because we love to reminisce about what was so good. And that's just how Matthew starts. Oh, it's so good. Look at the names he mentions. It's our forefathers. Then Matthew's narrative takes kind of an ugly turn. I mean, not when you and I read it necessarily, but maybe you can read it in a new way, and I'm not going to read it for you today. But as Matthew continues to go down Jesus' family tree and talk about his lineage, it takes an ugly turn because Matthew's going to remind the Jewish people that there are some non-Jewish Gentiles in Jesus' bloodline. Ooh. Some prostitutes. Seriously. Some women of ill repute, we'll say. Jesus is related to them. Men and kings who not only turned their back on God, but led their entire kingdom, Israel, to do the same. Those people are in Jesus's history too. It's some ugly stuff. But no one posts about that stuff, do we? I mean, like, if I were being honest, if you were being honest as a parent, let's say, and you posted the kindergarten picture, but no one posts like pictures of between kindergarten and high school. No one posts and says how hard that is. No one posts and said, hey, this guy, t- take, take a look at him. He's finally graduating. But boy, he caused my life to be hell for several years, right? No one says that, All right? No one says, I mean, you should have seen the sleepless nights. And they, they, they drove me, she drove me crazy. She was so stubborn and hard-headed. And then when they became a teenager, oh, God, help me. It's a miracle that either of us survived, right? 
And, and, and no one posts about the pictures of the late broken curfews, right? Of the broken rules, of the disrespect and the way that they talked to you and treated you and your broken heart and your worried heart. And even the one that lingered in that graduation picture is a fear for their future. We don't really post about that. Because that stuff's hard. The before hurts. And no matter what the pictures say, it's still with us. And as Matthew's first century Jewish audience first heard his narrative of the life of Jesus, there were hints of a painful past because even Matthew wouldn't let them forget about their Genesis. And then he continues in verse 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are named to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And at the close of chapter 1, the beginning of Matthew's story, there's a light bulb moment for Jewish people and for you and me, because Israel's story is my story and your story too. Because you walked in here today with a lot of your Genesis memories still very much lingering into your present, didn't you? I did. And what I love about Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, is Matthew says, but. What you have known as, as a pile of stuff from your past, from before, that has lingered into your present, Matthew said it all changes now. Brothers and sisters, it all changes now. Because Jesus has come. And this new after that he brings to your life supersedes all of the before. That you and I, church, today, right now, I don't care where you are in your faith journey, I don't know, but here's, here's something that I promise you. Today, as Matthew stated 2,000 years ago, it starts new. And you came in here today with a lot of before lingering into your present and it's clouded your vision of what's coming for you. All of the more that God wants for you. And Matthew reminds his readers as he reminds this church today that this is a fresh start. And don't you need one? Don't you need a do-over? Don't you? What if that's what this season's about? And see, so many of us have been settling, settling for so much less in our lives and that we've just settled for less. We've learned to live with less. And what our Heavenly Father wants to do is he wants to take your less and he wants to, to, to lead you to more so that you could, so, so you have less guilt 
and more freedom. So that you have less unforgiveness for yourself and unforgiveness for people in your life, people that have hurt you, that you can let it go. And you can have more reconciliation. That you can have less apathy for your faith. And you can have more passion. That you can have less hurt and you can have more peace. This is what our Heavenly Father's about. This is what our story is about. That he wants to take all of the less that you and I have been settling for for so long. And he wants to lead you to more less selfishness and more loving generosity. Less busy and distraction and more purpose and power. Less selfishness and more pursuit of our Heavenly Father. You don't have to live in codependency with your past. Jesus has always been the answer to your story, your befores, and your hope-filled afters. So here's what we're going to reflect on in this moment. Um, and, I, and I say that because I want to challenge you to sit where you are in your seat and, and just to talk to God. Just to talk to God. Right there where you are, just in a private moment between you and him. I want to tell you this. On December 24th in our Christmas Eve services, we are going to celebrate some baptisms. People who have been thinking about who God has just been getting on your heart and say, people that God's just been drawing to himself, understanding that they don't have all the answers, that they're not perfect people, but they do claim to trust a perfect God and Jesus who died for them. And we're going to celebrate already. We've got a few that are going to celebrate during our Christmas Eve services, baptism into new life. And if that's something that you want to talk about, mark that on your connection card, send me an email, and you and I will connect and we'll talk. Here's what I want you to think about even beyond that. While we're still waiting on this side of Christmas that we're on, historically, we're on the other side of Christmas, but we're waiting for Christmas eternally. And while we wait, I want you to thank God this morning that he will preserve you. He always has preserved you. Read our story. God was always preserving Israel. He always kept them. He was always pointing them toward more. And he's been doing that for you since the day you were born. Preserving you through all the befores. Keeping you through all of the nows. Pointing you to the more that he has for you and your children and your grandkids. So take that deeper step of trust to a God who has more for you. And he preserves you for the more that is ahead. Can we just take a moment and thank him for for preserving us? Just to honor him for it. Holy God, I thank you that Jesus has always been the answer to every thing that's broken in my life that doesn't feel complete. God, I thank you for telling this story 
because it resonates to the, to, to the core of who I am. To my, I can feel it in my bones, Father, that you've been writing this story because it's the story of my life. One that has a plan and a purpose that you preserve. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, eradicate all of the less that I have been lingering in, Father, and free me to grab the more. You are so good. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Amen.